We have 14 grandchildren from nine months old to 15 years old. Seven boys, seven girls. Uh, the boys used to totally outnumber the, the girls until the last, I think, five of the last six births were girls. Uh, no two are alike. Uh, one of them may resemble another, uh, same color hair, color eyes, uh, you know, look the same in the face and all, but that's pretty much it. We can look at pictures of one of the older ones and one of the younger ones and see that the younger one looks quite similar. But their likes and dislikes vary sometimes greatly. Uh, some are loud. Uh, a lot of them are loud. And, and some of them are mo more withdrawn. Uh, the most we've had together at one time is nine, I think. And when that happens, it gets quite loud. Um, but there's never a dull moment. Our one three-year-old granddaughter is nonverbal, and she's been learning some sign language to be able to communicate with her parents and um, my wife and I a little bit, but it was funny. Uh, they were together, some of the grandkids, and another granddaughter just a few months younger than the three-year-old. Uh, she was acting like she was signing to our, our three-year-old. Uh, even though she wasn't really saying anything in her signing, she had, had seen, you know, her mother or father do it with her. And and so she was doing it. She was talking and, and signing just like her parents would. So God loves them all, just like he loves everyone else. He doesn't care what flaws we may have. He just loves and accepts us just like we are. Praise his name. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks that you love each of your children, that we don't have to come up to a certain standard before we're able to be loved by you or accepted by you, that you take us all just like we are. And that's good because just like we are sometimes isn't too bad, but sometimes is really not very good at all. But you still want us, and I thank you for that, that you wanted me. So, Father, as we look at your word today and, and see a little bit more of what Peter has to, to say to us, Father, we just ask for your blessing on this time. Lord, just allow us to be filled by you and your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want to continue with First Peter, and I'm going to begin with a very important verse that I somehow forgot in chapter 2. I really don't know. Uh, in First uh, Peter 2, verses 6 to 8, Peter was talking about uh, Jesus being the, the cornerstone and how that stone causes some to stumble and fall. Well, in, in verse 9, Peter uses that example to show how believers vary from that. 
and this is what it says in the New Living Translation. It says, But you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Well, there is a lot in that verse. <clears throat> I'm really not sure how I managed to overlook that when I was doing that chapter. So let's take a look at the first part and see what Peter says here. Uh, he says, we're a chosen people, we're royal priests, we're a holy nation, we're God's very own possession. And boy, if that doesn't make you feel special, nothing will. Because that certainly makes it sound like we are very, very special people in God's eyes. And any one of those descriptions would be more than enough. But I'm going to break it down a little bit and see just what Peter is telling us. Okay, it says we're a chosen people. Okay, to be chosen means that, you know, we've been selected, you know, out of everybody else, you know, we have been selected. Uh, and the people, uh, it's not talking about, you know, maybe a, a denomination or a, a whatever. It's, you know, it could be a, a country, an offspring or a nation or people. It's talking about certain ones. And God has selected those to be his children. <clears throat> Excuse me. Many people say, well, I've chosen to be a Christian. Well, maybe not. John 15, 16, Jesus tells us this. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. So it sounds to me like God's the one that's doing the choosing. So uh, just in Jesus' name, I thank you for choosing me. Okay, you didn't have to. There was no reason why you should, but praise God, you did. Well, next it says that we are a royal priesthood. Well, to be royal means that you're kingly, you're sovereign, and, you know, just kind of lifted up above others. And a priesthood means that you're part of a priestly fraternity, a special group, you know, part of an, an elite group. <coughs> <clears throat> Excuse me. So we've been set apart like one of those places you need to know the password. You know, you need to have a, a special handshake <clears throat> or have a, a key or a card that not everybody is allowed in because you're part of this elite group. Now we know that you don't need a special handshake or password or any of that. All you need is Jesus and the relationship. And next, Peter says that we're a holy nation. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> and to be holy means that you're blameless. <clears throat> Excuse me. That you're a saint. You're religious. You're sacred. And a nation means a tribe. And it often refers to those that are non-Jews, uh, like you and me, for the most part. 
to be blameless. Well, certainly not without Jesus to be a saint. <laughs> uh, not really. A tribe. You know, I can understand that one because most of us are non-Jewish, but yet we are accepted in. And the last one was that we are God's very own possession. Now, this verse varies a lot from translation to translation. It, it's funny because in the King James, it says, you are a peculiar people. Hmm. NIV says we're God's special possession. In the message, it says God's instruments to do his work and to speak out for him. So if we take a look at the Greek that was used there, uh, it says that we are purchased, we've been acquired, we are a possession, we've been saved, and it says peculiar. Now, maybe the definition is the problem, uh, because at least myself, when I think of peculiar, uh, I think of it this way, uh, that someone is strange or they're odd or they're unusual. You know, that that person, you know, is just rather peculiar. They say peculiar things. But there's a second definition that says peculiar means to be distinctive, to be special, an individual. Now, I can buy in to being that kind of peculiar, even though some people may think of me more as strange and odd and unusual. Um, and as a Christian, non-believers look at us that way quite often as being strange and odd and unusual. But if I'm part of God's peculiar people, that's fine by me. So the second part of 1 Peter 2.9, okay, again, it says, as a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Okay, in John 8.12, it says, Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. Okay, I was called out of the darkness that I lived in. Okay, I didn't think it was darkness until I was in the light. And once I was in the light, I was able to see just how dark the darkness had been. I don't want to go back to that darkness. The light is much, much better. That's how life works. You think you're doing well until you see how much better your life can be. Life with Jesus, that is, because life with Jesus is the best life. It's not just good life. It's not better life. It's the best life to be living in that light of Jesus Christ. So now I'm going to move on to 1 Peter chapter 3, but I'm going to start in verse 8. And this is what verses 8 and 9 tell us in the New Living Translation. It says, finally, all of you should be of one mind, sympathize with each other, Love each other as brothers and sisters. Be tender-hearted and keep a humble attitude. 
Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them, that, pay them back with a blessing. That is what God has called you to do. And he will grant you his blessing. Wow. Now, is that different than what we see happening in the world or what? The world teaches, get the last word. Take revenge. You don't have to take that from that person. Okay? You know, you're better than that. You don't need to be treated that way. You know, get them. Go get them. Sick them. But Paul tells us this in Romans 12, verses 19 and 20. He says, Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Easy words to say, easy words to write. In reality, for us, it's pretty difficult, pretty difficult to do. Okay? Because that's just not our natural human instinct. And in reality, it just doesn't happen that way a lot of times. Okay, there's some people <clears throat> that we let get away <clears throat> with maybe some insults or some digs. But there's others that, mm, no, not going to happen. Because, you know, you're not going to speak to me that way. You're not going to treat me that way. And maybe sometimes we're right in doing that and saying that. Now, verses 10 through 12 continue to talk about how we should be living. Okay, and, and Peter, and this is quoting David from Psalm 34, says, If you want to enjoy life and see many happy days, keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn away from evil and do good. Search for peace and work to maintain it. The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the Lord turns his face from those who do evil. I don't want the Lord to have to turn his face away from me. Okay? I don't want him to be looking at me and say, man, I just can't watch this anymore. I've got to turn away. You know, maybe you've been in a situation where you've had to turn away from something that's happening. Uh, maybe you're watching a movie, uh, you know, a scary movie, and you're hiding your face or you're turning away because of it. And that's the way the Lord treats those who are doing evil. I cannot imagine a worse thing to have happen on earth than to know that the Lord had to turn his face away from me because of how I was living my life, how I was maybe treating other people, the things I was doing and saying, and just the, the kind of person that I was. I want him to be looking at me and saying, hey, see, that's my boy. Yeah, 
Look at him. Listen, listen to him. Look at the way he's living his life. Wow, way to go. That's what I want God to be able to, to do. Sometimes I, I can picture it in my mind that it's happening. A lot of times I can picture God turning himself away from me, saying, there he goes again. He just keeps on tripping over that one thing in his life, going back at something that he knows that he shouldn't be doing. Well, the last part of 1 Peter 3 is, is kind of hard. Hard to understand why some things happen. So this is verses 13 and 14 in the NIV. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear those threats. Do not be frightened. Okay, verse 13 again. Who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? That sounds pretty reasonable. If you're doing good things and helping other people, why would anybody harm you? Every year, hundreds of missionaries, Christians, are murdered around the world. Okay, these missionaries that have given up lives here in the United States or in other places where, you know, they've been living and believing and serving. And God is saying, you know, I want you to go to this place on the other side of the earth to people that, that don't know me and, and talk to them about me. And they end up getting killed for it. Pro-life advocates are harassed, assaulted, and arrested on a regular basis. They're trying to save the lives of unborn babies, trying to save those who have been created in the image of God. And people are harassing them for it, assaulting them. People refuse sometimes to give money to organizations that are helping poor or homeless because they're a Christian organization, because this church is doing it, and I don't want to have anything to do with this church or with their God, and so I'm not going to give them any money. You know, I don't care what they're doing. You know, it's because they're Christian that I'm not going to give them anything. I'm not going to help them out. Well, they don't realize that they're not hurting the Christian, that they're hurting that person that needs the help. Well, in verse 14, Isaiah knew that there would be times that people would be harmed for doing good. And how true, how true that is. Well, the second part of verse 15 is something many believers struggle with. It says in the New Living Translation, Instead, you must worship Christ as the Lord of your life. Okay, no problem there, right? But the next part may be a little difficult because he says, and if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. Some people, if someone came up to them and said, you know, I, I, I know you're, you're a Christian, and all, so, you know, what's, what's the deal? You know, why? And some people would be, well, you know, I... Yeah, I I just gone to church my whole life, you know. I was brought up in the church and, you know, youth group and all that. And so, you know, I, I just keep on going to church. 
you know, or I'd go, my wife, you know, it makes her happy that I go with, with her and, and all. And so, you know, I'm just kind of there. You know, I'm, I'm not one of those radical people. I'm not a Jesus freak or anything, you know, nothing like that. You know, I just, I just go to church, you know, because, hey, why not? So you're probably not really impressing your friend, and you're certainly not impressing God. Maybe an area that we all need to work on, because your testimony is just that. It's yours. And we should be ready to tell someone, you know, this is how I used to live my life. Okay, you know, I smoked, I drank, I was not a good husband or wife. You know, I was not a good parent. You know, I didn't care about anybody but myself. But, you know, now this is how I live my life. You know, I'm a, I'm a better father. You know, I take time with my children. You know, and I, you know, I've quit all these nasty habits that I had. You know, I, I don't drink anymore. And, you know, I, I don't watch pornography anymore and and all and it's because of my life with Christ nobody can take that away from you you know whatever you have changed in your life because of Jesus Christ that's your testimony you need to be ready to share that because what God has done in your life can't be taken away and like Peter says we need to be ready to share that you know, I tell people, you know, to just really think about this. Write it out if you have to and practice it. Go over in your mind with it. You know, have it someplace where, you know, you can look at it and go over it and over it. And so, you know, if somebody comes up and asks you, you can say, well, you know, this is why, you know, this is why, this is why, this is why. And then share it. Why do that? It's because of verse 16. It says, but do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. Belonging to Christ is what makes you different. You want to please him. You want to be more like him. You want to have a closer relationship with the Lord. That's what it's about. That's what you need to let other people know. So your life should look different than before Jesus became the center of it. And if you're living for Jesus, your life certainly will look different. There's no doubt about it. I like verse 17 because it says, Remember. It is better to suffer for doing good, if that is what God wants, than to suffer for doing wrong. Amen. Okay, much better to you know be in trouble or to be looked down upon by somebody because you're doing good for people than to have them looking down on you because you're doing bad things. But... Sometimes a little suffering is good for us, at least for me anyways. In John 15, verses 18 and 19, Jesus told us this. He says, If the world hates you, 
keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own, as it is. You do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Christians get treated differently than non-Christians. Okay, some people talk differently around us. And sometimes you don't get invited to certain parties or maybe to, to go out, you know, on payday uh, to the bar or whatever. You, they treat you like you're a, a goody two-shoes and you need to read up on goody two-shoes. But if you don't find this happening, if people are still treating you the same and talking the same as they did before, maybe, just maybe, you need to get closer to Jesus. Maybe they're not seeing any difference in you. And so that's why they're not treating you any difference. You know, sometimes I tend to forget the price that was paid for us. Okay, verse 18 reminds me, reminds us. Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring us safely home to God. He suffered physical death, but he was raised to life in the Spirit. You know, I was part of the Catholic Church for about, I don't know, eight, ten years, whatever, of my life. I didn't grow up there, but was a member of and attended. And the Catholic Church does something during Lent that I think is a good reminder of this. They do what they call the Stations of the Cross. Now, I'm not suggesting that you become Catholic, okay? But you can look this up online and see just really what this is all about. But there's 14 stations that describe Jesus' last day on earth. Okay, begins with his arrest and goes right through. And like I said, you can find that online and you can go through and, and read the scriptures that go along with each one of these. Well, another great reminder is the movie, The Passion of the Christ. If you have not seen it, you need to watch it. If you've seen it before, you need to watch it again. I suggest every believer watch this at least once a year. And just, be, just to see what Christ went through for you and me. Okay? He suffered because of sin that didn't belong to him, but because of you and I. Okay, verses 19, the beginning of 20, may be confusing, and that's okay because Bible scholars argue at least three different interpretations of this. Okay, so I'm not going to confuse you anymore with them, but I just want you to listen and maybe go back and to read yourself 1 Peter 3, verses 19, the beginning of 20, and interpret this for yourself or with others. 
because it says, So he, meaning Jesus, went and preached to the spirits in prison. Okay, this is after he had died on the cross. Those who obeyed God long ago when God waited patiently for Noah while Noah was building his boat. Okay, look at two important words in these verses. Okay, spirits and prison. Spirits. In Greek means rational soul, a ghost, a mind, or a spirit. Jesus had talked to those who had died during Noah's time, those who had not believed Noah, those that thought that Noah was nothing but a fool. What did Jesus say to them? I don't know. Nobody does. Was he reprimanding them? Was he preaching the gospel to them? You know, what What was Jesus speaking to them and speaking about to them? Well, the word prison here in the Greek means a cage or a ward or a prison. So what was this prison and where was this prison? Was it hell? Now, the Apostles' Creed, used by many churches, usually includes this line. Some have removed it because it sounds rather harsh, I guess. But it says, talking about Jesus, he was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. If that line is accurate, that may be when and where Jesus spoke to those in prison. Okay, let me finish verse 20 and 21. It says, Only eight people were saved from drowning in that terrible flood. And that water is a picture of baptism, which now saves you, not by removing dirt from your body, but as a response to God from a clean conscience. It is effective because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Okay, eight people were saved. Mr. and Mrs. Noah, their three sons, and their three daughters-in-law. Every other living thing that was not on the ark was dead. The spirits of those who drowned Jesus visited. I'll give you a thought to ponder. Jesus may have been in hell because he was filled with our sins. Maybe that's why Jesus was there. Because at that time, he was no longer the perfect sacrifice because he was filled with sin and he needed God's forgiveness. Or maybe not. Verse 22. Now Christ has gone to heaven. He is seated in the place of honor next to God and all the angels and authorities and powers accept his authority. Jesus, back when he had, back, you know, where he had left, after being there for 30 plus years, he was no longer on earth. Now, now he is seated as a judge. Jesus gave us something that no one else can give us. Eternal life in heaven with him. Okay, there, there's no other person, no other way it can happen except through Jesus Christ. I want to share the words of a song that I could use in every podcast because it 
fits everyone, but it seems to fit here really well. And that's, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible. The Bible tells me so. Lord, I come to you with my brothers and sisters that know you and love you, that have accepted you, and Lord, are living their lives for you. But Lord, they know that they can be doing better, just like I know I can be doing better. I can be doing more. So Father, help us to want to strengthen that relationship, to come closer to you than we've ever been before. Okay, because when we first get saved, you know, that relationship is usually pretty close. And then it, you know, sometimes gets a little weaker and then a little stronger and a little weaker. Lord, let us get it stronger and stronger and stronger. That, Father, we can do the things that you've called us to do. We can be the people that you need us to be in your world. But, Lord, I lift up to those that don't know you. That maybe they went to church as a child, and they sang that song, Jesus loves me, this I know. But Lord, they never began a relationship. They never made a commitment to you. Lord, I pray that today will be the day that they make that commitment. That whatever has stopped them before, whatever has held them back, that Lord, that they'll put that behind them and that they'll come to you and they'll be accepted that there's no one that's been too bad. There's no one that's too rich or too healthy or too strong. The Lord, you take us all, and I praise you because you took me. Lord, let them know that they need to pray kind of like this. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your Son, Jesus, that he alone is my Savior. I give you my life. I give you my sin. Take it from me. Make me who you need me to be. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.